This is Chris. Welcome to episode 331 of X-Lapsed, where for the first time in a very long time, or at least it feels like a very long time, we're back to the, uh, I guess we can say, technical flagship? Uh, Because I don't know that it's really ever been the flagship of the line to this point. Uh, Of course, I'm talking about um, adjectiveless X-Men. And, uh, you know, I kind of feel bad for this book, because I feel like it launched at just the wrong time, right? It it launched out of the Hellfire Gala when people really weren't talking about that weird interim period, right? We were already preparing for things like Inferno and Trial of Magneto, uh, both of which kind of took precedence over uh, this book that we're talking about right now. And and here we are post-Inferno where, you know, the words on everybody's lips are uh, immortal X-Men, and, uh, of course, we're going to be going into the Judgment Day thing. And, and X-Men just feels like it's kind of lost in the shuffle here. And, uh, indeed, today we're going to get another, like, sort of kind of one-off issue. I feel like that's kind of inherited, or been inherited, from the, uh, the Hickman take. Where we're not getting story arcs, necessarily. We're getting... These, I can't even say they're character-focused or character-driven because they're not, but we're getting these, like, one-off adventures, and uh, I think we've, you know, um, compared this to the Morrison JLA, where it was more about the costumes and it was more about the action than anything else, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go on, but uh, how, about we, uh, how about we get into it? Let's hop on in. This is X-Men, Volume 6, Number 8. Had an April 2022 cover date. The story's called... The buffet is undefeated. Okay, we got Modoc on the cover. The title is The Buffet is Undefeated. Writer is Jerry Duggan. Yeah, it's going to be one of those. Um, art, Javier Pina. Colors, Marty Gracia. Letters, VCs, Clayton Cowles. Designs, Tom Muller. Head of X, Hickman. St- what? Okay, head of X, Hickman. Uh, edit, Samaro White, Sabolski. Cover price, four bucks. This one went on sale February 16 of 2022. So we open with a uh, mostly blank quote page, our old friend. Uh, here we have Nick Fury talking about Modoc and how no one should ever underestimate him. You know, despite his uh, LOL random status, of course. Uh, which Nick Fury we're we talking about? I'm, I'm guessing the old one. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, now, speak of the devil, we open our story with Modoc, and he's about to unleash a petri dish full of badness into the water supply of a cruise ship. Now, it's worth noting, some of these cells or organisms in this Petri dish are X-shaped. I'm not sure if that matters at all, but I figure I probably ought to at the very least mention it. I mean, it is X-Men. They are X-shaped. Yada, yada, yada. Now, before we know it, the entire ship of fools is acting a fool. 
Vacationers and staff alike are beating the holy hell out of one another. All the while, some AIM beekeepers are chilling out on the side with cameras documenting the scene as it plays out. Now, Modoc's big plan here seems to be testing out uh, this bioweapon in a, uh, I suppose we can say, a relatively controlled environment, and uh, after which record the proceedings and then sell said bioweapon to the highest bidder. All told, not the worst plan he's ever had. Now, all that goodwill goes right down the toilet, however, as Duggan has Modoc kick a woman in the face while shouting, For science! Isn't this the kind of crap Warren Ellis would jam in his books like 30 years ago? And it wasn't very funny then, either. Anyway, double-page spread of roll call and cred. We got Captain Krakoa, Rogue, <laughs> uh, Marvel Girl, Sink, Polaris, and Wolverine. That's X-23. From here, we hop back to comics, and uh, we join the X-Men on the no-longer-in-memoriam Thunderbird jet. Cyclops, man after my own heart, calls out Modok for shouting, For science! Which, I want to note, doesn't excuse it. It's still a really bad line. Lorna senses a cloaked ship hovering above in the clouds, which not even Jean's Omega-level powers manage to pick up. The team then breaks off into task forces. And oddly, it's X-23 who starts shot-calling. She's directing traffic here. She tells Cyclops, Jean, and Lorna to start fetching survivors out of the drink. Laura, while eating what appears to be a Kit Kat, comments that she's not too keen on going into the water since her time in the vault. Now, what this is alluding to is born out of a, uh, a little bit of a continuity error here. Um, now, when she was resurrected post-vault, she was apparently brought back with a full-on adamantium skeleton, which she didn't originally have. And we might call this Chekhov's adamantium skeleton. We'll, we'll get back to it. Now, she and Everett will board the cruise ship and deal with Modoc. Rogue? Well, <laughs> she could just go F off into orbit or something. Seriously, why is she even on the team? Uh, she does get a line of dialogue here, though, which is more than we can say for the last several issues of this book. You might be asking, what is her line of dialogue? And, well, she gets to be the X-Man this issue to remind Cyclops that he's got to change into his Captain Krakoa duds. It's worth noting he's in his full Cyclops costume at first. But why? Like, if Cyclops is supposed to be dead, why is he still wearing this costume? Is it really just so we can get, like, this same scene of him begrudgingly changing into Captain Krokoa every issue? I don't know. Alright, let's move on here. We're going to follow Everett and Laura as they try to settle some tea kettles on deck. While they do so as peacefully as possible, it's time to finally get around to addressing that whole love affair in the vault thing, you know, the hundreds of years they shared together. And, well, it feels a little bit anticlimactic, uh, but in fairness, it also feels real. So I'll give them that. Now, Everett, he says he doesn't want to burden Laura with 500 years of information and baggage, which is noble. She asks him how long it took for her to warm up to him in the vault, and he replies, a couple of hundred years. Uh, 217 before their first kiss, in fact. Laura jokes that she admires patience in a partner, then suggests that he try asking her again, which seems like a trap. Maybe don't fall for it. From here, we flash back to... <sighs> okay. <laughs> what would a current year issue of an X-Book be without a flashback to the friggin' Hellfire Gala? Because, hey, we're back there now. Yes, this is going to be Everett's Hellfire Gala speech. And uh, we've been getting these for, well, the entire run of this book to this point. And at this rate, with another gala on the way, that's all this series is ever going to be. 
Now, Sink's mental pitch asks for Laura to be added to the team. Back in the present, Laura is still sniffing around the ship, and she makes her way into the buffet where Lal Modoc is serving himself dinner. I mean, man's got to eat, right? When pressed, he explains his plan to our heroes and gets in another for science, which, I'm sorry, still isn't half as funny as Marvel writers seem to think it is. Meanwhile, Scott, Jean, and Lorna are just about wrapped up pulling bodies out of the water. Rogue, hey, Rogue gets another line of dialogue. It must be her birthday or something. Uh, She radios in from that cloaked ship, and it's an AIM ship, naturally, and she's arrived just in time to interrupt an autopsy. You see the scientists up there trying to harvest as much information as they possibly can from MODOK's bio-victims. Back on the boat, MODOK scans Laura, realizes that she's got an adamantium skeleton, and blasts her into the sea where she sinks like a stone. Now, Sink is here, and, uh, well, he's left with one of two options. You see, he could beat MODOK, during which time Laura will almost certainly drown, and, and, you know, be off the table for like 15 whole minutes before she's gold-balled back to life? Eh. Or he can borrow from Jean's TK and fish his lady love out of the drink, and, uh, of course, he chooses the latter. Now, Modoc thinks he's won this, even going as far as to make some threats about knowing where the X-Men live, but not so fast. You see, Captain Krakoa comes barreling in and punches Modoc square in the face. I, I mean, are there any other parts of Modoc to hit? Not really, right? Eh. Now, Scott then asks Sink to put him inside Modoc's head so he can have a chat. And we see the idyllic suburban Modoc house, which I want to say we saw in Head Games. Uh, now, that uh, that was that series that had the issue that Gwenpool appeared in, and we covered it uh, back in the while ago. I can't remember which episode number. Uh, Scott is directed to the backyard of this suburban home where he finds Modoc grilling some burgers, or grilling, actually grilling X-Men heads is what he's grilling. Uh, they talk about being fathers, and Scott asks what Modoc would do if they let him live today. Modoc doesn't know. I mean, in fairness, he is a mental organism designed only for killing. So what, is, what does he know from doing good, right? Uh, Cyclops tells him that he's got to make restitutions for everyone that he's hurt. Otherwise, the X-Men are coming for him. Scott then leaves, reminding the big head that now the X-Men know where he lives. Back in the real world, the X-Men are thanked by some dude in a suit and take their leave via the no longer quite as poignantly named Thunderbird Jet. Now, Laura is eating a grip of food from the buffet, which I believe is supposed to be comedy. It does facilitate her saying the title of the issue, though. The, you know, the buffet is undefeated. From here, we go to an info page, and it's from the desk of Forge, written to Cyclops regarding the Captain Krakoa gimmick. Now, you see, Forge is... Sorta kinda in agreement, or at least on the same page with Cyclops in the whole overall going public with the concept of mutant resurrection thing. And of course, uh, Scott himself kinda pitched this during that Quiet Council scene a couple issues ago, two or three issues back, I think. But, now Forge, he's he's pretty pragmatic and he, he knows an opportunity when he sees it, so he isn't gonna let one pass him by. You see, he really wants to get the Captain Krakoa suit tested, and, well, what better way than, you know, kind of sort of kind of trial by fire, right? He wants to test it, he wants to see the limits. This is a pretty great way to go about it, having Cyclops wear it and, and don that personality. Now, you see, this suit, as Ford sees it, could come in handy for mutants with less fighty powers to be of use in battle. And he name-drops a few, Artie and Leech, who 
Well, I think they've been hanging out with the Fantastic Four since when Hickman did his high-concept thing over there. We got Cypher, which... Come on, every couple of years we get a reminder that Doug is like the best of the best in battle, right? Plus he's got Warlock. What does he need a Captain Krakoa suit for? We also get a call back to Ugly John. Wow, now that's a deep cut. Um, now, Ugly John was a three-faced fella from the uh, first, either the first or second issue of the Morrison run. And it's been a minute since I read it, but I want to say that Cyclops gave him a mercy killing in that issue. Like, he was going to die after the Sentinels attacked Genosha, but um, it was going to be a long, painful, suffery death. So Cyclops has him look into his eyes and, uh, I guess, blows his head off. Certainly not a mutant I was ever expecting to hear from again. Um, I mean, what's next? Are we going to hear from uh, Warp Savant? Uh, Anybody remember Warp Savant? Probably not. Um, Keeping with Forge's letter here, he also declined Scott's offer for him to join the X-Men, and I didn't even realize he was invited, and I didn't know Scott had the power to invite people. I thought it was all that Hellfire mind meld thing. Anyway, Forge suggests that Scott maybe draft Bling without her exclamation point instead, because uh, I guess she is a uh, an engineer of sorts. From here, we hop back to comics, and we're at the Treehouse, where Scott creepily watches Negasonic Teenage Warhead making out with some chick. He mentions that uh, one day she will make a fine X-Man, to which I say, dude, get off the Alvaro boards. He's approached by Sink, who's here to spill some beans about Ben Urich's mind wipe. Now, Scott already seems to know that it was Ev who screwed with Ben's memories. What Scott doesn't know is that Sink also swiped Ben's notepad, and he hands it over. And inside, it looks as though Yurik was trying to think up a title for this article, and he's got two titles that are crossed out, and those are Miracle of the Mutants and The Deathless X-Men. And then there's the title he was going to go with, which, uh, it's Immortal X-Men. Now, Scott seems a bit surprised that Yurik was uh, perhaps going to frame the mutants as being miracles, and uh, maybe, maybe this piece was going to be more favorable than Scott and we originally thought. Scott then goes to leave, at which point Sink asks if he can leave the team. You know, he's messed with Yurik, he feels bad about it, he's stuck on Laura, feels bad about that, he's just not in the best place right now. He appreciates the honor, he appreciates his time, but... He's, uh, he's about ready to move on. Well, Scott's going to be the bearer of bad news here because uh, he tells Sink that uh, he's going to be on the X-Men team until Captain Krakoa says otherwise. And that's where we leave it. Next time out from the, uh, oh yeah, that's still a thing we got to cover department, Devil's Reign X-Men number two. So let's talk about this here. You know, I mentioned at the start here that this book came out uh, at a very inopportune time. Um, I, I don't know how quickly the, you know, the Hickman exodus <laughs> occurred. I don't know if that was something that was in the works or something that he just said, hey, you know, I'm done after such and such date and uh, do what you got to do to make things work. But this book came out at, like, just the wrong time. You know, I don't want to say I feel bad for it because, I mean, it is still the flagship book. It's still selling a lot more than most of the other books. But I don't know. I feel like it could be more, you know. And I mentioned also at the start that this is a book that gives me, uh, you know, vibes of uh, the Morrison JLA. It's the popcorn book. It's the action book. Big action, big-ish names. Uh, Not so much with the characterization. Now, this time out, it did look like we were headed toward a bit of, like, much-needed 
I don't know, introspection, just getting deep into someone's psyche. And yet it came across as sterile, like it still felt like it had no heart. Um, it was not only lacking heart, it was lacking sunfire. Um, are, are we really at a point where we can't find a spot for all seven X-Men? I mean, it was a rescue mission. We can't fit Sunfire in there? Anyway, uh, now, the Everett bits. Kind of the main takeaway here. And I don't want to say they were almost interesting, because they were interesting. Uh, just kind of fell flat for me. I mean, we very nearly got a few actual human moments out of him before we were reminded that this isn't that kind of book. Uh, this is, of course, the book for widescreen action and quippy snark masquerading as personality, not so much for deep discussion, at least as far as I can see it. Let's uh, dig into the story a little bit here. Um, now, Modoc, yeah, he has to promise to be a good boy so the X-Men don't uh, kill him. <laughs> I mean, that was all the ending was. It was a finger wag. I, mm, okay. Uh, I will say, though, Modoc's plan here was a good one, and it actually made sense. If only Duggan was able to keep some of the lol random elements out of it. Um, I really don't need a please retweet this panel look at Modoc dropkicking some lady while exclaiming, for science. I mean, there's retweet bait, and then there's that. That's just awful. Um, Everett, let's get back to Everett here. His mind wipe of Ben Urich is confirmed. And while it appears to weigh heavily on him, Scott doesn't seem all that bothered by it, at least not initially. He's just like, hey, thanks, kid. We weren't ready to tackle that subplot just yet. Everett, though, he, he feels bad. He regrets it. Question is, why does he regret it? Does he regret it because it was wrong? Because, I mean, Everett's a smart chap, right? He, he would have to know that going in. He would know that he would be violating someone and abusing his power, abusing his gift, right? So, did he regret it because he knew it was wrong, or did he regret it because it ultimately appeared as though Yurik was going to write a far more favorable piece than we all originally thought? If that's the case, which it feels like it might be, it makes his change of heart and, you know, sudden conscious pangs a little bit less noble. Now, up until now, he was like the only person on this team who I felt we could all root for without any kind of reservation. He's been the only member who's been actively trying to, you know, be able to get a better handle and better utilize his mutant gift, right? He appears to care for his fellow X-Men, and he just seems like an all-around good dude, amid a bunch of, sadly, mostly just empty costumes. Now, though, I really don't know. Finally, uh, I guess we can at least mention uh, the Negasonic Teenage Warhead cameo. Um, you'll never ever be able to convince me that she isn't dragged out every now and again simply due to her uh, LOL random code name. Uh, I mean, what was the point of this scene other than to say, haha, Cyclops said Negasonic Teenage Warhead? I don't know. Overall, yeah, this was another issue of X-Men. I want to say it's probably the only book that still feels like it's wearing the head of X handcuffs. Um, it is stuck between two eras, and that's a, an unfortunate place to be. It's a place where you gotta fill pages, but you can't do a whole heck of a lot. And, uh, well, that's kind of where we're at. The art, it's worth noting, was quite lovely, though. But I think that's about all I got to say about the issue. Let's hop into the mailbag here. We got a couple of letters we're going to be addressing today. The first one from Evan. Now, he's talking about 
Sword number 11, which um, it's been like eight years since I've read that. Let's see if I can remember anything about it. Evan says, getting caught up here and there. I knew about Brand being a traitor thanks to a, quote, helpful website that sometimes remembers to slap a spoiler warning into the headline that contains the spoiler. And then I saw her in the Orcus Clubhouse in the subsequent issue, and that's just one of the risks of reading on a delay. And uh, I, I, I don't know that I saw her in the Orcus Clubhouse yet, so <laughs> I think I just inadvertently got spoiled. But um, uh, hey, I might have read I might have read that and already reported on it. I couldn't tell you. Um, as for those websites, uh, boy. Yeah, if it's not people on Instagram crawling over each other to try to, you know, break the news, um, it's uh, other uh, news-rama sites that um, will uh, spoil you right there in the headline. You know, sometimes they uh, they need to remember what their lane is, especially when their lane is recycling clickbait top tens that uh, are almost relevant. Poorly written and pandering to people who probably don't read comics, but... Um, Almost relevant. Uh, Evan continues. While I don't agree with her actions, I got exactly where she was coming from when she said that the Krakoans had reduced her to just a power. That has been the attitude of a lot. A lot of them have demonstrated throughout this era. It's just too bad for them, not necessarily from a story perspective, that the person most forcefully ch- the, mo- the person most forcefully challenging it is on the outside now. Oh well, maybe Nightcrawler and the Legion of X can talk some sense into them. Now, I'm so glad you brought this up because something that I've noticed in reading the post-Hickman era is a little bit of a shift in what it means to be a mutant. You know, um, we got the sense, especially early on in, uh, you know, just barely out of Hoxpox, that being a mutant was seen as being... Superior, And I mean, that's silly to say, because of course it's homo superior, yada, yada, yada. But there was this mutant pride that was a little bit more aggressive than usual. You know, we, we had, you know, mutant superiority coming from the evil mutants, but here we had it coming from the so-called good mutants. And I think we were supposed to see through the veneer... I think the way Hickman was crafting that, we were supposed to be creeped out. We were supposed to question whether or not these were people we were supposed to be cheering on, right? Having, you know, Storm as a cult leader, you know, or in, doing culty things, not as a cult leader, but doing culty things and, you know, chanting mutant when people are resurrected and just the whole, like, undertone or even overtones that uh, that the mutants were... Here to inherit, you know, they wanted their slice of the earth, they think they deserved it, they think they'd earned it. It was an aggressive form of, uh, would we say ethnocentrism? I, I, I don't know. But I think we were supposed to see through that. Things like the Crucible being introduced, things like the mutant magic meds being, you know, entered into human culture as a way to perhaps make the humans beholden to the X-Men, or at the very least, have to accept them. I think we were supposed to see through that. I think just the very concept of being a mutant was something that was being examined, and being examined in a very different way than usual, which may be what attracted so many of us to it. It it also may be what turned a lot of us off from it, but it had that kind of tone to it. We slide into the post-Hickman era... And I feel like we're, we've got like a foot in, in each camp here. We've, we've got a foot in our Krakoa camp, right? 
But we also have our foot in this camp of the mutants are feared and hated again, which it doesn't necessarily jive, at least in my opinion. It feels like you need to go one way or the other. If you want to go back to fear and hate, we need to we need to maybe deep six Krakoa. We need to maybe evolve from this Krakoan uh, um, era. Now, granted, I am still a man between eras, so I have not read Immortal X-Men yet. It's sitting here next to me. I haven't read it yet. I haven't read any of the Destiny, or the, I guess, official Destiny Vex stuff, the stuff with the new trade dress. I haven't read any of that yet. So, for all I know, I might just be talking out my ass right now. But at least in this, like, weird nebulous interim, it's uh, it feels like we, we don't quite have an identity for what it means to be a mutant, you know, at least at the very present. Now, Evan brings up Agent Brand here, and her uh, monologue there, her or her big, you know, villainous reveal, or, or whatever we want to call it, was very, very well done. In that, I feel like it paid tribute to the original vision of the Krakoan era, and of course I have no insight as to anything, but the overwhelming feeling that I get is, like I said, like five times already, we were supposed to be able to see through the facade here, and we were supposed to think that, uh, you know, the, what, that, what's that thing, you know, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely with uh, the X-Men on Krakoa. Brand, she talks about, she cuts through everything, and she's like, all they saw was I was a power. You know, they didn't care about me as a person. They didn't care about me as, as a bundle of feelings. They didn't care about me for anything more than how they could use me. I was a tool. And not only that, just by the very fact that she was a mutant or is a mutant, she was expected to simply fall in line. You know, she was just supposed to be a good soldier. She was supposed to have the same sort of mutant pride as everyone else. Um, and only define themselves as mutant first, everything else, you know, distant second, third, fourth, fifth. So it's, it's interesting... It's definitely going to be interesting seeing where Brand's story goes because, frankly, I feel like they might have lost the plot. You know, the the wider X family of books here kind of lost the original plot that Sword was trying to zero in on. Because Sword, as much as I I was not looking forward to it when it was announced, it wound up being a book that ultimately had a reason to exist. It was different from the other books in the line here. It wasn't just, here's another group of mutants doing something. Here's another group of Krakoans doing something. This was this was purposeful. And it was, like, deceptively purposeful, because as we read it, it was like, this book has no identity. This book keeps getting sucked into into crossovers. What, what is the point of this book? And it's only after seeing what Brand says at the end that all those pieces start to fall into place. Now, I'm not sure where her story will play out. I'm assuming... It'll be X-Men Red, but uh, we'll we'll see when we get there. Uh, in any event, I'm looking forward to it, if for no other reason than to see if um, what the tone is. Like, are we supposed to be rooting for the X-Men, or are we not supposed to be rooting for the X-Men? Who do we want to win? How, what is our... How do we want to see this play out? You see, it's questions like that that, uh, that keep us reading, or at least keep me reading. <laughs> but uh, thank you so much for writing in, Evan, and thank you for reminding me. Of that interesting final issue of Sword. Uh, next up, Billy D talking X Lives number three. He says, "Hey Chris, great to hear you rapping about comics as usual." Now this book sounds like more trouble than it's worth for me personally. Now Omega Red can control other mutants or inhabit possess them. 
So many off-the-wall concepts nowadays versus what was the status quo. It's a real turnoff for me. But I do enjoy hearing you talk about them. Keep up the good work and being candid about your thoughts about the funny books. Well, thank you so much. And yeah, you know, as, as I said uh, probably too many times during our uh, X Lives number 3 discussion, I, I'm still very much enjoying it, but the seams are starting to show. I'm starting to realize that, you, you know, when you take away rules... And you know how I hate the word rule. <laughs> I hate the concept of rules. But when you establish a status quo, there are maybe tenets of that status quo you need to adhere to, or at least pay respect to. Um, X-Lives is... It's just all over the place. I'm, I'm enjoying it. I am enjoying it very much. Uh, and it's not even like a so bad it's good sort of thing. I'm just having a good time with it. But, I mean, there are some questionable things happening there. Things like, you know, if Omega Red could possess a mutant, Wolverine, why didn't he do that right away? Why didn't he possess Xavier as a child? Why did he leave Itsu's body? Getting a lot of questions. I'm not sure we're going to get the answers, is the thing. I might be wrong. Hopefully I am. Hopefully this has a very, very satisfying resolution where... All of the disparate elements of the story and the timelines come and they're weaved together into a beautiful tapestry, but, uh, well, damn it, there is such a thing as a pattern of behavior. <laughs> and, uh, unfortunately, uh, going by that pattern, uh, my expectations are not terribly high. I-, I am, however, expecting to enjoy it, you know, as I have been to this point. I don't want to, I don't want to overstate that, but I also don't want to understate it either. But I want to thank you so much for for listening and writing in on that one, Billy. It really does mean a lot to me. Now, before we take this one home and call it a day, I do want to... I I don't know if indulge is the right word for it, but I do want to have a little bit of that uh, good old-fashioned real talk here. It's nothing deep. (laughs) It's nothing terribly deep. It's basically me just um, trying to plan, you know, what's next. You know, what are we doing here? Um, The way I look at it, uh, I'm kind of behind on this show here. And the thing of it is, is, you know, motivation's a tough thing, right? We've talked about motivation before. We've talked about um, inertia. And kind of why I go at projects the way I do is because... There's so much time where I'm not acting. There's this long period of inaction where... You know, the desire to perform or to write or to share is just bubbling up inside of me to the point where it bubbles over. You know, it just becomes something that has to come out. And so instead of doing a show a week, I'm doing a show a day. Instead of just doing a blog post a week, I'm doing a blog post a day. Sometimes I'm doing both in a day. And to be completely honest, I don't know that I'm ever happier as a creator than when I'm just working constantly it's that's been my thing from day one here um i love everything up to the point where i hit publish <laughs> everything after that can you know go kick a cow <laughs> i don't have fun with anything after that but it's the work that i enjoy the most here and i was talking with a, a very good friend of mine not too long ago uh, this morning actually about trying to get back to a place where i was a little bit more regimented and it's, it's funny because I, I think last time we did a little uh, 
self-indulgent chat, uh, I was talking more about getting away from, you know, my self-imposed rules. But, I mean, if it's not entirely clear uh, by now, I'm, I'm a man of extremes. <laughs> I'm either all in or I'm all out. And I haven't found that healthy medium point yet where I am still contributing and creating, but not at the, I don't know, cost of my soul, <laughs> you know. Um, so me and my pal were talking about this past fall. Um, my plate was quite full as it uh, pertains to content creation and whatnot. I had several regular shows that I, I adored doing. I, I, I just loved having the conversations here. Of course, we had X-Lapsed. Um, we had the Patreon show, which I need to get back to because I feel like an absolute thief for not having. But, you know, we had the weekly shows or the semi-weekly shows in, you know, Quester Days with Chris and um, uh, To the Choir with Dave and uh, Maze Lighting with Ed. All shows and all interactions I, I loved. I had such a good time with and would love to get back to a place where... Uh, where that was part of my routine again. And I sincerely hope this doesn't come across as self-important in any way, but I, I feel like I've let people down in my absence and in my... Uh, uh, <laughs> this might sound completely delusional, I don't know, but uh, I feel like I, I wrote some checks that I haven't been able to cash, and uh, I feel very bad about that. And I'd like to get back to a place where I was able to be... I don't know, a little bit more social, a little bit more out there, and a little bit less in here. Of course, the, you know, watchword right now is baby steps, so we'll slowly but surely get back to some semblance of a regular schedule that is both a little bit more dependable, but at the same time not as, uh, you know, inflexibly rigid as uh, I usually do things. But um, I honestly don't know why I just... Uh, Unloaded that here. <laughs> Maybe I just needed to say it out loud. I, I really don't know. But, um, you know, I never wanted to be the podcaster who said life got in the way. Because I, I always kind of rolled my eyes when I heard people say that. Of course, this is before I got into, you know, the hobby. And, you know, I'd sit there and I'd think, like, you know, you're, you're talking about comics for a half hour with your friends. Uh, how can you not make time for that? And, uh... Well, I was an asshole. I was wrong um, because, yeah, life does get in the way. And it doesn't necessarily mean you're busy or you're working, you know, tons of hours in a day. It's life just happens, you know. Um, we're sitting here at the end of April and I still haven't been able to process uh, losing our dog back in the middle of January. And that's kind of when the wheels of my creative endeavors started to fall off, or actually completely fell off. Um, I, I don't know that I've talked about losing our dog here on the show, but um, it was kind of a um, one-two punch sort of a situation um, in early to mid-January. Uh, he, he, he had changed a little bit. Um, he was 14 years old, uh, a little pug, and he... Uh, he was losing control of his back legs. Um, he had taken a few falls because pugs are daredevils. <laughs> they, uh, the, the tiniest little squattest things, but they like going up high. So it wouldn't be unusual for me to like enter a room and find him on top of a chair. You know, I mean, like the top of a chair, not the seat, but the top. 
or the top of the couch, and he'd like to sleep up there. And, well, unfortunately, that means that he fell off a couple of times. And uh, I, I assumed that the uh, that this was maybe a little bit of nerve damage, and the vet pretty much confirmed that there was nerve damage there, but we brought him in just to see if there was anything we could do. And he also had this odd abscess under his eye, like between his eye and his snout. And pugs, of course, they're brachycephalic. They got the, the squished face, right? So you have to clean out the folds of a, of a pug's snout. Uh, every so often, uh, we, we would do it every few days. We'd get in there with like a damp rag. We'd, you know, clean him out and then a dry rag to make sure nothing, you know, kind of got nasty in there. And I just assumed that maybe it was inflamed. You know, it was coming from around his fold. So we assumed, well, we we assumed the worst, because that's kind of what we do. We're very fatalistic in this house. But we held out hope that it was just going to be, oh, it's an infection. Here's a cream, here's a pill, yada, yada. Of course, that was not the case. Um, we we got there, and we were told that it's it's cancer and it's inoperable and you know uh we were given the you know make him comfortable speech which is it's not it's it sucks it sucks you know um i could it was one of the situations in my life where i literally felt the blood leaving my face you know if you've been given bad news and i guess maybe Maybe it's saying something that I haven't received much bad news in my life that this affected me in such a way. But um, I actually felt the blood leaving my face. And this was a this was a Tuesday. This was a Tuesday in January that we were told this. And uh, we we of course still tried to hold out, hold out hope that maybe <laughs> I don't think we thought it was gonna pass, but maybe that we still had some time. And that really wasn't the case. Um, that was the first time that I had to put the show on hold. I just, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't sit here behind a microphone and talk with uh, all this stuff going on with a, you know, with my best friend, you know, very, very ill. And uh, so we went on break. And I came back a week later, and that is when he passed. And well, I, I, I don't want to go too much deeper into that because, uh, well, I, 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 I can't. <laughs> I, I physically can't. Um, but that, uh, that really put a crimp in anything else in, in life. Um, and it's still kind of there. Um, I can't walk past his, his box without, uh, without breaking down still. So, um... I don't know, it's a little bit of insight to... And I promise this wasn't going to be deep, stupid Chris crap, but uh, here we are. <laughs> but that's uh, that's when the wheels fell off and things went a little bit wibbly-wobbly here on you know the channel and on the site and stuff. Uh, and it's like one of those things where, you know, you, you think about all the stuff that people have to worry about in life and you, you, you start to think that it's not so much silly, but um, I don't know. I really don't know the right word for it. It just feels like, I don't know, I should be coping with it better. Or maybe just, you know, almost at the other end of coping. But I'm not, so here we are. <laughs> um, 
So I will leave it there. On that, on that up note, uh, we'll leave it there, and uh, we will call it a day. Uh, I'd like to thank you all so much for uh, joining me and spending some of your day with me. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. Searching